Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the Gut Wrench Podcast. Episode number. One second, I'll be right with you. I gotta go check that episode number. Because I myself am not even sure what episode number that we have uh, ventured to. Episode number 104. Thank you all so much for joining me uh, here this Sunday morning, I suppose, even though it's technically, for me, it's Saturday night. I mean, I don't consider it morning unless the sun's actually about to come up. So, you know, I mean, otherwise there's nothing between morning and night, you know, either it's, it's morning or it's night. If you're going by your own logic. And for that matter, it's also daylight savings time. So for whatever reason, we're going to save some daylight. Or it's going to roll back an hour. Or it's going to come forward one, two hours or something something of that nature. The Teen Titans tried to explain daylight savings to me once upon a time. <clears throat> and not even the good Teen Titans. That Now I'm putting that in air quotes, of course, the, quote, good Teen Titans. By Teen Titans, I mean the Teen Titans Go. They did this episode where apparently there was a farmer. His name was Old MacDonald, and he had a farm, obviously, uh, because he's a farmer. I mean, everyone knows that. But anyway, uh, he had this clock, and for some reason it was stuck at 3 a.m., And for some reason, he had a cow, he had a pig, he had a duck, he had a whole bunch of farm animals, my point, of course, being, and they really drove home the point that he's old MacDonald and that he had a farm and that (laughs) he had this clock held hostage that was apparently taking away from an hour and saving the daylight, I, I don't, I don't necessarily know. I saw a little bit of the episode, not the entire thing. And for that matter, I'm getting off topic and talking about shit that really doesn't make much of a difference, especially whenever you consider that this is not a cartoon review or an explanation, not even a soft explanation for that matter, of why daylight savings time exists here in America, I'm assuming everywhere else. I guess I'd have to ask someone from Europe if they celebrate uh, daylight savings. Celebrate? I mean, is it a choice? You know, is it something that actually we have a choice in the matter? Like, no, 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 I said put my clock an hour (laughs) back to where you had it, you know, like, okay, anyway, um, welcome to episode 104 of the Gut Wrench Podcast, last week I did not do an episode, a lot of you probably, you probably ventured into that, not seeing an episode last week and here's the thing i i uploaded an episode and i called it quote bonus content 
What part of bonus content don't you understand, people? If it's a bonus content episode, then of course I'm not going to be here. I'm joking. So I recently went ahead and just decided that that was a good idea. Whenever uh, I'd found that old episode for for um, meticulous reasons, I was like, oh yeah, I was just searching through my uh, phone files and happened to find it. Then I was like, I wonder if I can download, upload this. Like, the last time that I tried to do it was in January, and it wouldn't let me do it. That's whenever those two pay-per-views that I did review on episode 103, even though officially it's not episode 103, canonically is what I should say, it's not episode 103, just just go with it. Because it was the 103rd episode that I did upload. <coughs> However, and that is the case, and if that was the case, then what I ended up doing was just uploading it and then just saying, all right, I guess I'll just take a week off. There's another episode. Just call it bonus content, you know? Like Little Wayne, he, uh, for whatever reason, people keep quoting Little Wayne to me, you know? Uh, something that has to do with... Uh, Put a cherry on top of it, call that a cherry on top, you know, or something, something that has to do with something that has to do with something else. And, you know, it's almost like a, an elaborate fucking math. But anyway, I'm not here to dispute Little Wayne. What? Who's here to do that? Um, it's come to my attention that PWI, that's Pro Wrestling Illustrated, has a magazine that they do every month, and obviously they do. However, okay, why are we honking? There's nothing in your way in the fucking road. And it's one in the, it's one o'clock in the morning. Who the fuck are you honking at? Motherfucker must be out of his mind to think that it's a good idea to be honking in a residential area. Back to what I was saying though. Um, there's apparently a fucking, <clears throat> there's a magazine called PWI, uh, Pro Wrestling Illustrated, as I was saying. They rank the top 500 professional wrestlers out of every, um, out of any, rather, not every. They don't do it for every fucking company, but they do do it for any company that does exist. And if you're a local talent and you're featured in PWI's Top 500, then that's more than likely going to give a lot of people a pause to look at you or concern. They might, who knows, maybe one of these big wrestling companies might come up and look at you and practically be like, hey, you know what, I can see why you're ranked number 18 or number 25 or whatever. You know, that uh that makes sense to me. How would you like to sign a contract, you know? And almost like selling your soul, you're bound to do it. Because, let's be honest, the money's worth it. And you really need the, the, uh, the work. You know, you really need the uh, exposure. Even though you kind of got the exposure, but that's just the tip of the iceberg. However... This year, PWI has put forth 
Um, top, their top three for for the this year was um, the Shield. Each member had a ranking, and it went as follows: one, Roman Reigns; two, John Moxley, the former Dean Ambrose; and three, Seth Rollins. For me, to put these three individuals in any order and then tell me to rank them is a hard, hard thing to do. For some other people, however, it might be super easy. A lot of people would just put John Moxley at number three and then have to deal with the fact that either Seth Rollins is number one or Roman Reigns is number one they would have no <clears throat> no problem putting either Reigns or Rollins as number one for me it's a little bit harder to jisk that you know which way would I put it it's not that I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings or you know anything like that it's just that this is a hard ranking. You know, that's that's like a smash or pass situation that you don't want to pass on any one of the three because they're all three really, really good. Um, as of recent, the person who's doing the least amount of work, in my opinion, is Roman. So I guess I'd have to put him as number three. And then it would just come down to John Moxley and Seth Rollins. You know, who's the who's the hardest worker? Who's the more... And whenever you look at their history, and especially you look at both men's... Uh, I, I don't know. I don't know. It's it's weird, too, because they've got so much in common. Uh, of course, John Moxley got married to Renee, um, who has a podcast of her own called uh, Sessions. Of course, uh, Rollins got married to the man, Becky Lynch, which, I mean, in all seriousness, but also playfully, I like to make this joke. Who's the real man in their relationship? You know, because Becky is considered the man, and also Rollins is at one point in time considered the man. Anyway, I'm getting off topic, and I'm sorry for the late start. <clears throat> this week, on episode 104, before I start reminiscing about the fact that they both have children now, and it's... It's a weird dynamic. Survivor Series 2012 is what we will be looking at. Why? Because the Survivor Series is right around the corner. We're inching closer and closer to Survivor Series 2023. And um, <clears throat> there's a lot to unpack here. So why don't you take a seat? Oh yeah, and I didn't mean to Chris Hansen you guys right there. Why don't you take a seat, you know? 
those of you who understand that reference, good, good for you. Good, for, you know that's a, that's a uh, not only that, but it was also a South Park. This is a South Park running gag, where <laughs> Chris Hansen comes in and then he keeps telling Cartman, "Why don't you take a seat?" And he's like, "No, no, no, I can't do that." And then all of a sudden, uh, uh, Cartman would like slowly back up and then he would be like no I can't take a seat he's like I gotta go <laughs> and then Hanson was like you sure just take a seat <laughs> so funny anyway not only is it a running meme in the TCAP community but also it's a running meme in uh, South Park I guess but they've made fun of everything CM Punk uh, wins the title from Cena a year ago to the date. And he's got something that he needs to talk about. CM Punk with the big news. The big um, talk being that Punk is the new hot free agent of wrestling because of some backstage fight that took place between Punk and Jack Perry. Okay, well, I'm not really sure why I put that he was the champion or something like that. Wins the title from Cena a year ago to the date. Yeah, I'm not sure why I put that. But anyway, just stick with me here. I guess I just don't know how to start my notes here. Day 91, the Elimination Chamber of 2012. So what they're essentially doing here, um, and I put down every milestone that they mentioned uh, while they were showing me highlights from various pay-per-views from the year of 2012, what they were essentially doing here was they were showing me landmark, uh, almost like days in the championship history of CM Punk. So day 91 is where they started at the Elimination Chamber, where the odds were stacked against CM Punk because he had to contend with not one, not two, not three, not four, but five other individuals, if I remember correctly, including himself, would have made six people all together in one wrestling ring. <coughs> Maybe that's something that we'll look at at a later date. Day 91, the Elimination Chamber 2012. The narrative, and not only that, but it's also a narrator who won't shut up is being told through the eyes of CM Punk. And in doing so, were showed his highlights of how he uh, kept his WWE Championship, and the only request, request that I would have made is to get rid of the design of the Spinner Championship Cena had for so long. Thank God it's gone now. <clears throat> My God, it looked so bad looking back. So at the time, I was in middle school. And um, I didn't have a problem with it. Don't know why I didn't have a problem with it. No, 2012, I graduated in 2013, so I was in high school. Um, anyway, <clears throat> I had a, or I didn't have a problem with it at the time, even though a lot of my friends would come up to me and then be like, hey, what do you think about the Spinner Championship? And I was like, there's no problem at all. I don't see the issue, you know. Like, but but the old outdated design and the fact that CM Punk had it was 
sort of iffy, you know, like this is the thing that started with John Cena, you know, where's CM Punk's title, where's his uh, championship that he gets to keep, <clears throat> Cena had for so long, thank God, it's gone now, my God, it looked so bad, 273, so he was at day 273 at the SummerSlam pay-per-view and 400, or I'm sorry, 343 at the Hell in a Cell was against Ryback, which we will get to that in just a moment. Day 351, on an episode of Monday Night Raw, uh, the count keeps counting up until you see the infamous picture or gif of CM Punk looking at the WWE Championship as the narrator says, is there any hope for survival? And on that last word, survival, his voice echoes. And yes, that infamous picture that shows uh, John Cena on the left side, if I remember correctly, Ryback on the right side, and um, CM Punk is in the center, and um, he's looking at his WWE Championship as John Cena and Ryback are playing tug-of-war with it with one arm on their right side of their body and CM Punk is not only looking at the championship but he keeps looking over at uh, Ryback and then over at Cena and then down at the title. He just wants his championship back. He doesn't want to be put in this uncomfortable situation. But these two are obviously gunning for the said championship. <clears throat> okay, so here's an inconsistency that I never thought I'd say. Um, for the first time ever, Michael Cole and Jerry Lawler and JBL, all three tandem, apparently, according to Cole, this is the, quote, first time ever these three are working together, Someone should probably fact check that because I think it's inaccurate to think that considering how long all three of them have worked for the company. What did Cole start in 1999? What's Jerry Lawler been in the company since like um, the first Royal Rumble, maybe since before then? Um, I mean, Lawler's been in the company longer than Cole. I know that's for sure. But around the same time, or for that matter, well, he's been in the company then, because he's been in the company since they were territories, and he was the, quote, king of Memphis. For a sec there, thought that for sure he was ripping off fucking, uh, what's the name of that guy? Elvis Presley. But no, he, he's not ripping off Elvis Presley. I mean, he didn't come out and start screeching about a hound dog and... How, you know, he can just play the guitar and, you know, he can shake, rattle, and roll and all that other shit. <coughs> no, no. That's not who Jerry Lawler was trying to rip off. He's just trying to be the king in a time when kings and queens didn't exist. Anyway, I'm getting off topic again. I'm sure that'll happen throughout the night, throughout the morning. Whenever you're listening to this, don't judge me. The point, of course, that I'm trying to make is that um, these three have been in tandem in the wrestling company for well over maybe 30 years, a combined 30 or 40 years. 
in the wrestling business, let alone, you know, behind a commentator's desk, 10 or 12 years respectively, how have these three in tandem not worked together, you know? Doesn't make sense. Doesn't make sense that this combination up until November of 2012 would never have showed up, you know? <clears throat> They've been in WWE combined, uh, let alone at the same time. There's no way that of November of 2012 is the first time that they're uh, working together as an announced team, let alone anything else. The 26th annual Survivor Series. Okay, so this match was going to take forever, and I figured that it would. So instead of writing down all of the wrestling spots like I usually do, and I'm usually a good little mocha, and, you know, I tell you all of the highlights, and I try to be, you know, like, oh my god, what a huge spine buster. What a great brain buster, and for that matter, what a... A great DDT, a beautiful looking super kick from Cody Rhodes. I couldn't do that this time. And do you know why? It's because I would have been here all night. I would have been freezing my tiny balls off. Tiny balls? Who said that? Who wrote this? I, I mean, I would have been freezing my big dick off uh, trying to say any, or for that matter, trying to put into words how a five-on-five five match was supposed to go. This is what they called a, quote, bonus match, by the way. And that's just another way of saying, hey, we've got these other superstars over here. There was a card on the maybe the pre-show that we decided to pull from the pre-show last minute, and we decided to give these guys the remaining TV time because we didn't have enough pay-per-view time in order to cover for the um I don't I don't know. You you know it's it's hard to explain. But basically they needed a 3-hour time slot in order to make it go a little bit closer to the 3-hour time slot. And probably their um pre-show had already ended something of that nature. And then they were like, "Hey, what what What's with the time crunch, guys? We're going to have to, you know, on the fly, get all of either that or maybe this was meant to be there. Maybe this was meant to be there on the main card, but they just forgot to advertise it. They just said, oh, shit, we, we didn't ever. We done goofed, guys. We done goofed. 2012 was, um, it was the era of, People power. Thanks to one Mr. John Laurinaitis. And yes, whenever he speaks, it sounds like he's got laryngitis. <clears throat> I suppose I should stop making jokes and just get straight to the action. Hang on one second. Thank you for cutting in front of me. You're a bitch. A five-on-five -five elimination tag team match where Brodus Clay, the Funkadactyls, um, accompanied by the Funkadactyls, I should say, because that's whenever he's got that call-your-mama gimmick, um, Justin Gabriel and Tyson Kidd come out together for some reason, even though they've never been a tag team. Sin Cara, 
Rey Mysterio versus Tensai, Primo and Epico, and the PTP, the primetime players, millions of dollars, millions of dollars, millions of dollars with a baseball bat. That is your five on five. For those of you who don't know who Primo and Epico is, they are apparently a part of the Cologne family, the um, underwhelming dynasty of uh, Puerto Rico's wrestling. Um, I would call it a dynasty. You know, I'd call my podcast a dynasty. I really wouldn't call their uh, family heritage much of a dynasty. But I can overlook it. The PTP, on the other hand, was just Darren Young and, of course, Titus O'Neil. The real deal Titus O'Neil and Mr. No Days Off. Okay, I'll just get to it. And Tensai. <clears throat> Everyone remembers Lord Tensai, right? He came into the WWE. He had an undefeated streak going for a long time. And then all of a sudden, one Monday night on Monday Night Raw, they wanted to put... Tensai or John Cena up against each other and make it seem as though that it was John Cena's final stand that if John Cena couldn't get through Tensai you know that he's a washed up old has-been or something and what ended up happening was John Cena got through Tensai like hot knife through a butter through a butter I don't know <clears throat> Tensai gets the first time for the tag in the match. The crowd uh, starts chanting Albert as Tensai uh, starts to take control. Tensai is the only man to win the New Japan Cup twice, according to JBL. <clears throat> Brodus Clay is cleaning house as the big Tensai and Clay face off and the two... What, why did I put face off twice? It's not important. Clay uh, Brodus gets eliminated by Tensai. Tensai gets eliminated by Justin Gabriel from the crucifix pin. Um, Tyson Kidd gets uh, Titus O'Neil eliminated off the pin. Tyson Kidd makes Epico tap out. Tyson Kidd was on a roll at this point. Uh, Mysterio gets the pin on Primo and now Darren Young is the only person left on his team. So Mysterio uh, pins uh, uh, Primo and as I stated before Tyson Kidd makes Epico tap out so that means that there's only one person left for the opposing team and that is Darren Young. So it's Darren Young versus Mysterio, Tyson Kidd, uh, Sin Cara, and Justin Gabriel. So basically it's a one-on-four situation. Because the only person eliminated from the uh, team that I just got done mentioned, uh, Mysterio, Tyson Kidd, Sin Cara, and Justin Gabriel, the only person that was eliminated was eliminated by Tensai. And it was Brodus Clay before Tensai was eliminated, of course. Um, and then afterwards, everyone gets their spot in on Darren Young, and uh, Young ends up losing the match. So he suffers from, like, the West Coast pop, and then after that he gets 
frog splashed and then after that he gets elbow dropped and then after that he gets shed on again <laughs> and I even put here also Darren Young gets eliminated uh, two and a half out of five stars the reason I only put the eliminations is because the first match could be a long uh, so I figured uh, why not just put up a lot of the elimination highlights and go off the crowd chants so if the crowd would have chanted anything I would have put that too especially the Albert chant obviously directed toward Tensei because they never forget you know <clears throat> I mean he spent five six years in the WWE as a man named Albert and then after that three or four years as a man named A-Train WWE Divas Championship and <laughs> something that I wanted to really touch on really fast before um, all of the hip-hop music and all of the vehicle exhaust is beginning to interrupt me as I'm walking home because it is way too cold to be recording a podcast outside in the middle of the night but um, the first thing that you notice about both Caitlyn and um, Eve Torres <laughs> is the fact that they've had their theme songs revamped. Either that or someone in the production truck turned up their music way too loud because there I am trying to listen to what commentary has to say about like whatever bullshit that they're talking about because usually they'll give you some sort of insight as to what's happening at the match that they're supposed to be you know commentating on and all of a sudden you just hear Caitlyn's music and of course I know you want to spin the bottle spin it one two three and you can play with me or something like that and it's like I just want to be your supermodel, baby, your supermodel, baby, your supermodel, babe. So spin the bottle. <laughs> it's like, oh, okay. I totally didn't expect to hear that, but, you know. And then we get to Eve's music. Obviously, everyone's got to have entrance music, right? I mean, it just brings pizzazz to the uh, later forefront of the story, right? And... Whenever you get to Eve's music, so I just remember her having this really quiet song, of course, <clears throat> but I forgot about the revamped version that she had. Instead of, um, I'll try to, I'll try to, okay, so here's how the, the song usually went. She looks good to me. She's got everything I want. She's got everything I need. She looks good to me. All of a sudden, it gets really loud because of, of course it does. And of course it was like the revamped version of her theme song. <coughs> and I feel as though that it's very important that you understand why it caught me off guard. Because I guess I'm a wrestling critic. Of course I have to criticize everything from the theme music to the boots that they wear and you know oh that was a terrible drop kick and you know that was a horrible suplex and I didn't much care for that eye rake 
the chop and for that matter the DDT the ending of this match sucked anyway <laughs> once you get to Eve's music instead of she looks good to me she's got everything I want she's got everything I need all of a sudden she just hear the she looks good to me I got everything I want everything I need <laughs> you're just sitting there and then you're just like, okay okay <laughs> I think I understand she looks good to you <laughs> calm down and it repeats for like seven ten seconds at a time and I'm assuming that that's like the chorus of the song like I get it she's the champion she looks good to you I don't, I don't know it's moments before the match begins <laughs> someone tries to attack uh, Caitlyn, but was unable to because Caitlyn was able to stop the person uh, taking any shots from her and pulls back. Caitlyn pulls back the blonde wig. She pulls it off of their head and then she's just like, are you kidding me right now? And then she just starts beating up the person that was beating her up whenever all of a sudden Eve shows up. And what does Eve do? She just starts attacking Caitlyn and then afterwards acting like, oh, Caitlin, I'm, I'm so sorry. Are you okay? I would hate for something to happen to you before, before our match. <clears throat> so, of course, Caitlin shoves her to the ground and then says, oh, Eve, are you okay? I would hate to have something happen to you before our match. And then I'm just sitting there thinking, what the, what, what's going on? Just come up with, like, you just stole Eve's line. Don't mock her. <coughs> okay, so some context for this match is that um, Caitlin pushed her. Um, back in September, Caitlin was supposed to face Layla, and she got hurt because someone attacked her from behind and hurt her ankle. Uh, Caitlin thinks Eve had something to do with the attack because here we are in November and someone tried to attack her again and Eve got Caitlin's spot in the match that happened in September that I was just talking about. Okay, so Caitlin is dominant just beating Eve and uh, non-traditional wrestling moves, uh, mostly overpowering her and just beating beating her senseless on the outside of the ring. And what do I mean by non-traditional wrestling moves? It's sort of like, uh, you know, slap to the face and not even a headlock, but... I'm going to step on her toes and then I'm going to do what looks like a dragon screw, but it's not actually a dragon screw. <laughs> I'm going to beat her head off the ropes, you know, like, okay. And there I was just waiting, waiting for the suplex, you know, with a, some sort of offense, but... No, the most she gave me was like a Luthes press. 
<clears throat> Eve with a sloppy looking Luthez press and a one count on Caitlin. Eve with a hangman's choke, which once again is very unorthodox offense. It's not something that you often see. Um, <clears throat> Eve taking control moments before getting her face beat off the canvas. <clears throat> Uh, Eve kicks out of the what Michael Cole calls the knees to the gut. Don't know what the knees to the gut is, but I seen the move, and I still didn't know what to call it. Um, Eve then pulls the rug out from under Caitlin, Caitlin's legs, disorienting her, and um, gets her back in the ring for the three count, and get the. Uh, retains her title from a neck breaker. So uh, Caitlin was literally having the rug pulled out from underneath her because there she was on the ring apron and then she got caught up in it and Eve just almost like slipped the ring apron under and it caused Caitlin to fall literally pulling the rug out from under her feet. I don't know. So, Eve wins her um, Divas Championship. And, um, she retains. <clears throat> uh, the crowd just sounded dead. The match was okay, nothing extraordinary happened, barely any wrestling happened at all, and I gave it two out of five stars. And we are back after that short intermission, ladies and gentlemen, I do apologize. Um, so we were just talking about... How I just went off of the, uh, what the crowd said. And yes, crowd reaction does play somewhat of a role in the, um, rating that I give a match. If I feel as though that the crowd was dead at times, then the <clears throat> lack of crowd reaction will garner a lower rating. It's just that simple because I'm trying to figure out, was I entertained? Was the crowd entertained? Who attended that night? However, the crowd reaction here was sort of dead as far as Eve Torres facing off against Caitlin um, goes. <clears throat> Two out of five stars. Okay, so Cesaro comes out, and his entrance music isn't nearly as loud, even though it sounds a little bit loud, you know. It's probably some echo or something that I'm hearing. And keep in mind, I try to listen to this with, I try to listen to these pay-per-views with headphones, Bluetooth, preferably, um, in, or a speaker. And at this point in time, I was listening with a speaker. Anyway, um, in a few days, according to Cesaro, USA will celebrate yet another holiday that he says makes, quote, no sense, end quote. Um, 
What does America have to be thankful for? Question mark. A weak economy? Question mark. A weak infrastructure? Question mark. But I know one thing we can all be thankful for. And of course, he's talking about the fact that Cesaro is your um, United States champion. And this is the United States Championship match as champion Cesaro faces off against number one contender R-Truth. Um, <clears throat> Truth starts off strong with a few uh, pinning combinations early on uh, to Cesaro, knocking him off of his feet multiple times uh, just to rub it in his face that he can knock him off of his feet. Uh, both men are about equal in size and strength, I would say. Um... Yeah, probably. I mean, they're both around 250, 260, you know, as far as weight goes. So no one really has a clear-cut advantage here. Cesaro applying pressure with the uh, gut hold, and that's all that it really was. Was He, was, he almost had, not to... Not for a cheap pop or anything, but he almost had a gut wrench on um, R-Truth. There's your cheap pop. Mocha. There you go. I just gave myself a cheap pop. I hope you're all happy. I didn't mean to. It wasn't meant for me. Anyway. Thanks a lot, Obama. Uh, Cesaro applying pressure uh, with the gut hold, which is what I put here because I refuse to call it a gut wrench. With the, and then he picks him up in the gut wrench to do the gut wrench suplex, but he only gets a two count on our truth. Um, our truth misses with the scissors kick and gets hit by the Gotch neutralizer, courtesy of Frank Gotch. And uh, I didn't put a rating on this one, so I'm just going to go ahead and rate it now. Two and a half out of five stars. Now comes the most entertaining part of this whole exchange. And <laughs> for those of you wondering why I'm laughing, it's because it's the funniest part of the night. <laughs> shut up, shut up. Everybody just shut up. Okay. AJ Lee uh, left John Cena some voicemails saying last night was a mistake. And um, she lost, she loses control when she sees him. Which is very funny. It's very odd that she would say that she, quote, loses control when she sees him because she must be the only one who can see him. <laughs> Shut up, shut up, shut up. John Cena voicemails. <clears throat> anyway, um, AJ then slaps Dolph Ziggler uh, after he says, what's more disappointing? Of course, this is from the highlights that they showed from what happened last week on Monday Night Raw. Anyway, um, this is where AJ slapped Dolph Ziggler because he said the following. What's more disappointing, the fact that he's not talking to you anymore or all of those nights in his hotel room, end quote. 
AJ Lee comes out to the ring, and of course we're at present day here in 2012. Um, whenever I say present day here in 2012, I'm talking about the pay-per-view present day. I'm not delusional, and I don't think that we're still in 2012, for those of you wondering. Anyway, recapping the pay-per-view, AJ comes back, comes down to the ring, rather, and she says she's got some evidence to show Vicky Guerrero. The crowd is um, booing as Vicky comes <laughs> comes out of the uh, building and she's, uh, I mean, you can clearly hear the boos echoing through the arena as Vicky uh, shows up. And um, so I would like for you guys to relive this part with me. And there's probably a clip on YouTube somewhere, I'm sure. The interaction between Vicky and um, AJ Lee here is quite hilarious, if I do say so myself. AJ shows a picture that is clearly doctored, it's clearly edited, of Ricardo Rodriguez and Vicky Guerrero eating tacos together and makes fun of them for it. And she t she assumably makes fun of Vicky for it, not really Ricardo, but commentary is laughing at everything, and it's it's contagious. Oh my God, it's so contagious. So it just shows Vicky Guerrero with her mouth like really wide open, and almost like she's trying to she's trying to uh, fit this whole burrito in her mouth, and Ricardo Rodriguez, um, usually <clears throat> whenever he's doing the pose that he's doing, he has a microphone to his mouth, but this time he's got a burrito to, to his mouth. So you can clearly tell that someone used Photoshop to cut out the microphone and put the burrito where the microphone should be, where Ricardo Rodriguez is. But I'm not really sure what they did with Vicky's picture, but they're side by side, like, so close to each other <laughs> it's hilarious though it's i mean the crowd seems to enjoy it and for that matter everyone except for vicky seems to enjoy it because vicky keeps reminding aj that i am your boss and you will show me some respect and then she's like well you're not going to be my boss for very long especially if and then she's like I'm going to show you the second picture that I have. So she shows her the second picture. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, hang on. Just a few more tidbits with the Ricardo Rodriguez burrito thing. Um, she says, um, making fun of her for it. She says, you didn't expect me to believe that that's just a meal that's just a business meal, do you? Because, of course, she's talking about the fact that maybe Vicky Guerrero, the general manager, or who's supposed to be the general manager of SmackDown, or the general manager's assistant of SmackDown, one of their many shows that they have, uh, that WWE has, anyway, somehow has found herself in a position of power and now she's taking advantage of it because she's having leisure and she's sneaking off with her employees to have dinner with them 
you know, perhaps there's something more to that. They're working with what they can because this is a PG product and they can't exactly, you know, Jerry Springer this bitch. Uncensored Jerry Springer, of course, not... I mean, I've tried to watch Jerry Springer and every time that I've... Every time that I've tried to watch Jerry Springer, it's like, um... Every other word is beep, beep, beep. Like they're fucking backing up a taco truck or something. <clears throat> anyway, you don't expect me to believe that that's just a business mill, do you? Okay, well, if you don't believe me, then, Vicky, what do you say about this photo? And then she shows yet another photo that's clearly doctored. It's clearly been tampered with in one way or another and the second picture shows Vicky eating ribs with JR with JR's barbecue sauce on her face when the picture when the picture comes up on the Titan Tron Jerry Lawler says I knew it <laughs> I knew it oh my god and then the next picture shows Brodus Clay getting caught dancing with Vicky in the background there's a bed and Vicky is in a swimsuit for some reason so she's implying that of course not only is she having dinner with good old JR not only is she having dinner with Ricardo Rodriguez but she's getting funky with the Funkasaurus of all things that she could be doing she's getting funky with funkies on a roll can you believe this my God, some people just got no self-respect. And then after, of course, AJ's had her fun, all of a sudden Tamina Snuka attacks AJ from behind. Uh, Josh Matthews with an interview with Paul Heyman where uh, Josh, Josh asks a valid question. Um, she's left in, sorry, the question, which is what's left in CM Punk's quote, end quote, bag of tricks, end quote. What's going to allow him to retain his championship here tonight? And this is foreshadowing for those of you who don't know. What's left in CM Punk's bag of tricks? Now, if you'll remember, at the top of the program, we did talk about three individuals collectively known as the Shield, Sierra, Hotel, Ending, Echo, Lima, Delta, the Shield. We'll get to that in just a moment. For those of you who don't know how this program ends, the 2012 Survivor Series seems to end in somewhat of a controversial manner. <clears throat> At least it could be seen controversial in some aspects. But the, quote, bag of tricks question, I find that one to be very appropriate for Josh Matthews to be asking. <clears throat> so, Paul Heyman asks Josh Matthews to enlighten him on what advantages, advantageous uh, advantages that CM Punk has gotten over his opponent to have a quote bag of tricks end quote Josh can't think of any however your host can think of one 
and that is the uh, backstabbing referee at the Hell in a Cell pay-per-view 30 days earlier. But don't worry, we'll talk about him in just a minute. But at this point in time, in 2023, um, I'm sorry, at this point in time, in 2012, CM Punk was going on his 8th longest championship reign, the 8th longest championship reign of all time, rather, not CM Punk's 8th longest championship reign, but 8th longest championship reign of the entire company. And I'm sure that after Roman Reigns has uh, held it for one going on 1,800 days, the last time that I checked, the reporter that is talking right now, Mocha, checked 1,775 days or 77 days. But I'm sure that by the time that this episode airs, and for that matter, by the time that this episode is at least a week old, or for that matter, even... 30 days old, or even 60 or uh, 90 days old, which is in three months, by the way, ladies and gentlemen, <clears throat> for the foreseeable future, um, Roman Reigns, who did retain his title here tonight um, at the pay-per-view that he just had a match in, I don't know who's, who his opponent was, I do apologize, I don't really watch WWE all that much anymore, but anyway, for what's going on, 1,800 days, that number has since decreased, thanks to AJ Styles breaking JBL's um, SmackDown reign, so what I'm trying to say is that <clears throat> the 8th longest reigning champion um, of all time. I'm sure that he is now like the 11th or the 12th longest reign of all time because CM Punk's championship reign at this point in time may have been impressive, but now Roman Reigns has held the title for 1,800 days or going on 1,800 days. <clears throat> which is almost unprecedented. And AJ Styles breaking uh, JBL's uh, SmackDown uh, record reign would have moved uh, CM Punk's even further down the line, <clears throat> which it did happen. Paul Heyman brings up the B-plot, uh, stating that Cena is distracted by chasing AJ Lee. A world title championship match and I was wrong about this match so I I wanted to gloat at about this point in time I thought that for sure I would be gloating that Sheamus beat the big show I had all my money on Sheamus and then I was like oh man this they make this too easy sometimes because I mean let's face it what is the big show like 50 47 you know, at this point in time, and what's Seamus, like, in his 20s? So, they make it extremely obvious who's going to win, but, and then another thing hit me, too. I was like, I know what they're trying to do. They do this all the time. They're trying to make Seamus look like an underdog, but they could have done it any which way better. 
You want to know how you make Seamus look like an underdog? You take five guys and you put them up against Seamus. Make him face a group of guys who have a collective goal or something. You know, make him face the Nexus. Make him face uh, some sort of re renegade group who doesn't like him because he's too white or because he's, he's, I wanted to say Mexican, but he's not Mexican, um, because he's Irish, something of that nature. Make him face the numbers game. That's how you almost like put the numbers, or for that matter, make him feel as though that he's got the odds that are not in his favor. <clears throat> but I was wrong. I was wrong. Uh, shows highlights from three weeks ago when the big show uh, beat Sheamus to win the world championship. My question is, why should I care? <clears throat> Look at what I'm saying. Uh, Sheamus, at this point in time, was fresh new talent. Big show is maybe, to my knowledge, uh, only won one time before this. Yeah, he's only won the world title one time before this, and that was maybe at the at, at or around the Survivor Series 2000. Uh, I might have to do some fact-checking, which I didn't because it's not important. Uh, but my point is that <clears throat> does show bring anything to the table that Sheamus doesn't? You know, and Sheamus, who's obviously 20 years younger, 30 years younger than the big show, what what's the goal you know was the goal to make Seamus look like an underdog and if so you could have done that better uh, maybe put Seamus up against multiple opponents uh, this doesn't feel like the odds are stacked or, or I'm sorry this doesn't feel like the odds are in Big Show's favor <clears throat> they had people a few years ago chanting uh, please retire at the Big Show and now, thanks to AEW, they're chanting Big Show, or Let's Go Big Show. Um, they're no longer goes by, even though he no longer goes by his name, Big Show, he now goes by his real name, Paul White. Uh, footage shows Big Show attacking Seamus from behind in a bar or a church. Um, it looked faked, but it I could be wrong. So, if I'm to use my own... Like, what I put here was my own resources. If I'm to use my own background knowledge, is what I meant to say, my own background knowledge, my own resources, to determine whether the footage was real or kayfabe, uh, it w if it was real, if it was a real attack, uh, show would have been stripped of his world championship and suspended and or fired or fined at the least. Unless it was a provoked attack, it was uh, proven to be a pro started fight by Seamus, a provoked attack by Seamus. But according to Seamus, it was an unprovoked assault. Uh, the footage itself looks like Bigfoot footage, and um, for some reason when Big Show picks up a chair in the footage to hit Seamus with the chair... He hits the bench behind Seamus, not even touching or hitting Seamus at all. 
uh, <clears throat> in what's known to be the collective Bigfoot footage that we do have, it doesn't look like that he hits Seamus at all. It looks like that he's hitting the church bench behind Seamus. Um, hitting Seamus, what are you doing, WWE? You could have done this better, uh, like, and then I brought up something else. So, later on, maybe this was 2012, but, you know, years later, maybe 2017, 2018, 2016 at the most, they would have Shayna Baszler do the same angle with uh, Ember Moon. But at the time, see, whenever Baszler did it, they showed security cam footage of Shayna Baszler attacking Ember Moon. And someone pulled out their phone and they were screaming at Shayna Baszler telling her to stop, stop, stop Baszler, stop. Hey, if you don't quit right now, you're going to forfeit your championship opportunity this Sunday. And then Baszler all of a sudden just walks away. And then she says, I'll see you Sunday, Amber. <clears throat> like they could have done it so much better if they were looking to, just like making Amber look like an underdog like they did. Seamus ties the big show up in the ropes. He looks like, um, <clears throat> from what looks like to be the King Hippo from Punch-Out, the video game. Uh, the ref not counting to five while Seamus uh, breaks the rules. The ref, on the other hand, is telling Seamus, I will disqualify you, warning him, but not admonishing him. It, you know, if you're going to say, I will disqualify you, just do it. Do it then. He's asking for it. On top of that, you're not even counting. Why would you disqualify him if you're not counting? Dumb motherfucker. A big show... Spears Sheamus after throwing him in the ring. The first match Big Show was in, he beat Hulk Hogan for the championship, apparently. Um, at this time, according to commentary, at this time, uh, 22 total uh, championships have been won in his career. <clears throat> Facts are being uh, told by commentary who are watching the big show throw Seamus over and over again. Seamus kicks out of an elbow drop, uh, gets elbowed in his stern on his sternum. <clears throat> Seamus kicks out of a side slam Irish whip. Uh, big show does a version of his old finisher he called the final cut. It would be a move that would be done also by gold dust electric chair drop on the big show from Seamus they thought it was commentary was drooling and chomping at the bit because they thought it was some sort of miracle that Seamus a 275 pound man was able to pick up the big show and pick him up from that height of an electric chair drop to go ahead and perform that move but anyway um Electric chair drop on the big show from Seamus only gets a two count. Uh, Seamus on the uh, rally, building momentum and taking big show off of his feet. White noise to big show who kicks out at three. Seamus can't believe it. 
He's in disbelief on his face. Big Show pulls the referee in front of him to take the bro kick. So the referee took the bro kick and um, Superman punch or that, that giant punch that he usually does. The Big Show wins uh, off the three count. Color me surprised. I thought that this was a squash match for Sheamus because it doesn't make sense for the Big Show to win. I mean, in no narrative whatsoever did it make sense for the Big Show to win, but I guess it's their pay-per-view and not mine. And it was a pretty decent match, honestly. But the Big Show uh, not only put up a fight, but he found a way to win and not only survive, but win. Uh, three and a half out of five stars. I don't think I could have gave this four stars because of at times it seems slow and inconsistent and the ref bump as well. Uh, something I wasn't expecting as well as the ending it was more entertaining than I thought that it would be, however, um, or that I thought that it would have been, rather. Um, after the footage was looked at, they... Uh, revised it they reversed the decision and the big show lost via disqualification Sheamus wins but due to rules of professional wrestling you cannot and the title cannot change hands off of a disqualification <clears throat> so therefore still your world heavyweight champion the big show however the winner of the match, as a result of a disqualification, thanks to the fact that he pulled the referee in front of him to take the uh, super kick, or the brogue kick, Sheamus is your winner of the match, thanks to a disqualification, thanks to a technicality. But even though he won the match, he didn't win the championship. Big Show was disqualified for breaking the rules. After they gave him the win, Sheamus attacked uh, Big Show with a chair. The match didn't even receive any backlash from... Um, yeah, so had it been up to me, and I was one of those referees right there, you know, and Sheamus just kept wailing on the Big Show with like a chair, and it's completely uncalled for, especially after Sheamus, I'm going to put this in air quotes, wins the match, you know, I would admonish Sheamus. And those two referees kept getting really close, but every time that he would, like, swing the chair, they would get really far away. And there were two referees at ringside, for those of you not or trying to keep up with me but not exactly keeping up with me, two referees at ringside um, <clears throat> after the match was over and... Big Show was getting pounded by this steel chair, and while he was, these two referees were like, hey, hey, stop hitting him with the chair. Hey, stop hitting him with the chair. And then backing up, and then saying, hey, stop hitting him with the chair. Where's the security? Goddamn. And this, this fucking thing goes on for way too long. Like, Big Show gets hit probably 25, 45 times. I mean, I thought, Jesus Christ. I thought the uh, 1999 Royal Rumble was bad for chair shots, but geez, Louise Cheese, he never gets hit in the face, and at times you can tell that Sheamus is like 
letting up just a little bit, you know, not like completely wailing on him. But it's it's still like this quit with this stupid chair shots. God damn this segments went on for way too long. Why can't one of the referees come up to him and be like, Hey Seamus, if you hit him one more time, I'm gonna reverse the decision again. You know? You're gonna you're gonna lose your victory that I just awarded to you. <clears throat> like I said, this goes on for way too long. And now it's time for our co main event. As Alberto Del Rio comes to the ring in a 1953 Rolls Royce, a classic car, might I say, <clears throat> worth over $100,000, according to commentary, but what do they know about classic vehicles? Damien Sand... Oh, okay. Alberto Del Rio, Damien Sandow, David Otunga. Otunga was in school, uh, the same school that Barack Obama went to, and... Otunga is okay. Otunga is Rhodes's last-minute replacement. Um, Wade Barrett is here because the Miz quit and joined the other team. In uh, okay, so what happened was the Miz quit one team to join the opposite team. Okay, uh, I have a problem with the fact that the WWE Tag Team Championships are not on the line. The Intercontinental Championship is not on the line either. Okay, so Team Foley is uh, made up of Team Hell No, which is, of course, your Tag Team Champions. Um, Kane and Brian, Kofi Kingston, who is your Intercontinental Champion, The Miz, and Randy Orton. Here's the highlights. Otunga, at this point in time, apparently, according to commentary, is 21 and 0 at lawsuits because his day job is that he is a lawyer. Kane eliminated Sandow, and now it is advantageous for Team Foley, 5 to 4. Zigzag on Kane directly after, and then. Kane gets eliminated. Four to four. It's a tie game right now. Cole makes a reference to the fact that JBL was captain of his team. He says, and I quote, back in 2018, <clears throat> I went back and listened to that three times. And nowhere does he say, like, there's not, like, a part where he takes a pause in his sentence, a part where he, like, maybe says, oh, I misspoke, or I was looking for, honestly, I was looking for captions listening to Michael Cole talk because we're not even in 2018 right now. And Michael Cole makes a reference. Maybe he meant in 28 or sorry 28 holy shit <laughs> maybe he meant in 2008 because apparently he's making a reference to something that happened 
and that certain something is Team JBL versus Team Shawn Michaels. Which could have taken place in 2008. I'm not sure. I don't necessarily remember. It doesn't exactly stick out to me. That's not a memory that I remember um, droning on, or for that matter, um, watching. Anyway, Cole makes a reference to the fact that uh, JBL was a captain of a team back in, like I said, 2018. Cole, did you mean 2008? Because you do know that the pay-per-view that we're reviewing at this point in time is in 2012, right? <clears throat> Brian gets Otunga in the crossface, the yes lock, as they call it, and makes him tap. <clears throat> Otunga's been eliminated. 4-3, um, Foley's team is up one. Off the bullhammer elbow, Wade Barrett uh, eliminates, eliminated Kofi Kingston, making it 3-3. Brian taps out Del Rio. I'm sorry, Brian taps... Oh, okay, Brian taps to Del Rio. Foley is down one, one person, um, three to two. Sorry, two to three. Foley is the other one. Um, now, here's the game plan. Miz and Randy Orton versus Del Rio, Wade Barrett, and Dolph Ziggler. <clears throat> so it's essentially a, a trio versus a tag team. Wade Barrett uh, has been eliminated by the skull-crushing finale, bringing the Ziggler and Del Rio versus Miz and Orton. The Miz gets eliminated, and that means it's Ziggler and Del Rio versus Randy Orton. And Orton is the only person left for Team Foley. Now it's a one-on-one -on -one. off the RKO from the pin, uh, Orton to Del Rio. So Del Rio gets eliminated because now it's Ziggler, Randy Orton. Ziggler wins off the super kick while Orton was going for the punt kick. Uh, Orton had the match won. But Ziggler wasn't Ziggler wasn't moving, but Orton tried the uh, to rub salt in the wound, the proverbial wound, and paid for it. It took it told a good story and it had some pretty good highlights, and <clears throat> was a good push for uh, Ziggler to really. This was sort of the jumping off point for Dolph Ziggler. Because this is usually what they do whenever they're giving uh, a younger guy the torch. You know, hey, you were the sole survivor at Survivor Series. You were the Money in the Bank winner. You've grabbed so many brass rings for the company. Now let's see what you can do next. You know, I'm really impressed by what it is that you're showing. And you're very entertaining. You're quite the um, individual you're quite the superstar, rather. Now we come to our main event. 
That's right, ladies and gentlemen. Our main event is the WWE Championship match as CM Punk faces off against not only one, but two individuals looking to get that spot from... Hang on, I lost my spot in my notes. Haha, <laughs> looking to get that spot. Nope, that's not it. <clears throat> as Jason Ryback, formerly known as Ryback, faces off against CM Punk, faces off against John Cena, and our champion. Finds himself in a not so advantageous state as not only does he have one opponent to deal with, he has two opponents to deal with. <clears throat> as I said before, um, we would talk about that crooked referee situation. If you remember what I said at the beginning of the show. If not, go back and listen to that. I briefly mentioned a crooked referee. His name is Brad Maddox. And apparently he, quote, has nothing to do with CM Punk retaining the championship. Despite the fact that CM Punk, or I'm sorry, Brad Maddox, um, screwed Ryback out of a championship opportunity. Controversy starts to build as the referee from the Hell in a Cell match um, last month uh, starts to get questioned about his involvement with the incident we talked about earlier, which I didn't talk about it, but I briefly touched on it. So we'll just say that I quote talked about it. The Hell in a Cell match in question where Brad Maddox had screwed Jason Ryback, formerly known as Ryback. With a low blow and a fast count. Here's some... I mean, commentary just kept coming up with like numbers and, and figures and shit like that. So I just kept writing them down. John Cena, at this point in time, was 7-0 and at the Survivor Series event at this time. Um, tied with Hulk Hogan at 364 days as champion is... CM Punk at this time when CM Punk okay so here's something that JBL said because of course he said it I get what John was doing here because he's trying to prolong the advantageous spot that CM Punk was in and at this point in time you have to understand that there was a lot going on in the world in such a short amount of time. For those of you wondering what it is that I'm rambling about, I'll let JBL take it away, because he said it best. So, according to JBL, when CM Punk became WWE Champion, he's talking about when CM Punk reached his first day, his second day, his third day, you know, that first week of becoming WWE Champion, Mitt Romney wasn't even the Republican nominee. Snooki still hadn't had a baby. Hostess was still in business. One day from being a year to the date, CM Punk 
is our WWE champion. He said, I don't think you understand. He was trying to convince the other commentators that he works with. He was trying to tell them, I don't think you understand, guys. CM Punk being champion for 364 days is a big deal. He said because when he started his title reign, Mitt Romney wasn't even the Republican nominee. Snooki still hadn't had a baby. And Hostess was still in business. Which I didn't know that they went out of business, but okay. <sighs> the longest title reign in six years at that time, John Cena held the title for 380 days between 2006 and 2007, but I think Edge stopped that title reign. Could be wrong. CM Punk is 3-0 in triple threat match matches in pay-per-views this year, 2012. Whenever I say this year, by the way, I'm referring to the year in which that I'm reviewing this. Oh, holy shit. No, I'm not. I'm referring to the year of the pay-per-view that I'm reviewing. As if I'm reviewing this in 2012. <clears throat> okay, so after all those facts, I guess if that's what you want to call them, because I didn't check them, I'll just take their word for it. After throwing uh, Punk out of the ring, the number two one, the two number one contenders lock eyes and size each other up. Because believe it or not, and I'm pretty sure this is, was like the first time that Ryback, Jason Ryback, and John Cena were actually getting like a one-on-one -on -one acquaintance with each other. Because before this, they really hadn't had much ring time together. Ryback with a uh, fallaway slam uh, onto Punk. Then Cena on the ring, but only gets a two count. Dueling chance from Let's Go Cena to Cena Sucks. And you'll notice, too, that if you were to listen to those dueling chants... Let's go Cena. And then you'll hear the much masculine Cena sucks. Because the younger fan base is the one saying let's go Cena. And probably the little girls or the gay boys. Or a combination of the two. The more feminine let's go Cena. And then the more masculine Cena sucks. Shows you exactly where his fan base is. At, at this point anyway for a few it's just a tidbit that I noticed and also was told about a few years earlier a few moments uh, every time punk <clears throat> for a few moments every time that punk uh, does a move to further show off he has to taunt to further rub salt in the proverbial wound John Cena tries coaching, coaching, catching Punk off guard, but only gets a two count. A Punk with a beautiful spike DDT on Cena, only to get 
a two count. JBL SmackDown record that I much mentioned before that um, AJ Styles had beaten is at 280 days. CM Punk has already flown by that, but of course CM Punk was on Raw and not SmackDown. And JBL's SmackDown record only predominantly retained to SmackDown. <clears throat> Punk off the springboard uh, after giving John Cena the slip, much like a banana peel. Uh, Punk, who went to the reverse chin lock on Ryback, while Cena laid outside. Feed me more chants, start to stir and echo. John Cena has the STF locked in in the center of the ring. God damn it. I wish that I would have put who he put the fucking hold on, but it's fine. Uh, Cena and Punk uh, put Ryback through the announce table. Almost like they looked at each other. CM Punk and uh, John Cena looked at each other. And whenever they did, they had a common goal at this point in time and they were like we need to silence this motherfucker you know we need to put him down so what did they do they did a double ddt double ddt it was a suplex wasn't it had to be a suplex uh each one of them got on each arm of the big man and they sort of just slang him until yeah, it was a suplex. They did sort of a double suplex through the announce table. And, wow. I mean, Ryback was down for a while. <clears throat> Punk hits the GTS only to get a two count. AA from Cena uh, to Punk almost out of thin air. It was almost made me uh, think that this match was over. Almost made me believe that Punk lost the title. So close, but it was still a two count. Feed me more chance. Uh, echo as uh, Ryback lays out John Cena at, on the outside of the ring. And in doing so, starts to build momentum toward a CM Punk encounter. Close two count yet again as Ryback gets, gets the two count uh, thinking... Thanks to right time from Cena breaking up the potential pinfall. Out of nowhere, three assassins. Well, I didn't mean to put assassins, but I couldn't spell what I was actually wanting to put. Three mercenaries um, show up and like dogs in a pack, they pick up the pieces of what was left of Ryback and put him through a table and the three men in question are the top three wrestlers of 2023 in this order. Roman Reigns, Dean Ambrose, Seth Rollins. Now, Dean Ambrose would later redact his name of Dean Ambrose. And not only that, but I don't think he could use it if he wanted to. So... He's John Moxley. Um, Roman Reigns, of course, the number one wrestler in the world today, or at least he's number one ranked. Um, 
John Moxley, the number two ranked, and Seth Rollins, the number three ranked. Um, anyway, uh, Ambrose Rollins would all be known as the S.H.I.E.L.D. and in a twist of fate that brings me to tonight's episode, the three men in question have recently been named the top three of the PWI top 500 in that order. Roman Moxley Rollins. CM Punk pinned John Cena after Cena was dealt with by Ryback and after Ryback got put through the table thanks to those three mercenaries, those three individuals um, that would come out of the crowd almost almost come out of nowhere and put Ryback through a table. So Ryback got put through two tables in order to almost facilitate the um, reign or the continuation, the reign of CM Punk at this time. Thank you all so much for joining me. Also, I mean, if you want to know more, I'd be willing to talk about this. These three individuals are honestly some of the best that professional wrestling has to offer whenever it comes down to pure technique, pure, like, microphone skills. And if you were to ask me, like I said at the beginning of this program, to rank them three, I would have to put Roman as third, and then it would be between Moxley and Rollins, between who gets number one and who gets number two. The number one and the number two spot, of course. Reigns is impressive, no doubt, but later years have proven to be not so good to him, and maybe it's just the booking, but if you're going to make someone look strong, and I mean like he's supposed to be like the champion, right? He's supposed to be like the juggernaut that they can't stop. And if that's the case, why does he constantly need help? Why does he constantly need someone to run in for him or someone to uh, show up and then help him pick up the, the victory? And maybe that's just a part of the heel tactics and I'm just not seeing it. But it's almost like a copy and paste. Every time that we see Roman Reigns, we know what's going to happen. If he doesn't have help, he's going to lose. Almost like he's one of the Three Stooges, you know, and he can't get anything done on his own. <clears throat> it doesn't make him look like a final boss. It makes him look like an incompetent jerk. <clears throat> Whereas though that the other two are doing great things for the wrestling world for the wrestling community and for that matter for the wrestling in a whole I gave it four out of five stars <clears throat>
and I thought that it was appropriate, seeing as though that we are in November, to look at the 26th Annual Survivor Series. That's a wrap. Ladies and gentlemen, my name is Mocha. This has been the Gut Wrench Podcast, episode number 104. I'm starting to lose my voice. Maybe I've just been singing She Looks Good to Me way too much. She looks good to me. She's got everything I want. Everything I need. She looks good to me. It's it's like he's trying to convince someone, hey man, what are you doing? She looks good to me. Why can't she look good to you? I'm joking. Like three people got uh, revamped theme songs that year. And that would be like uh, Zack Ryder. He got one. His went from, oh, radio, tell me everything you know. To like, oh, radio. Tell me everything you know. So, a lot of them did get, like, the revamped theme songs. Anyway, um, that's a wrap, ladies and gentlemen. Hey, hang on here. Hey, so what? And, um, that's going to do it for me. Shout out to the Gut Wrench Podcast, episode number 104. Am I right, boys? And um, thank you all so much for listening. My name has been Mocha. This has been the Gut Wrench Podcast. <clears throat> That's a wrap. And good night, everybody.